This episode of the Sunspots Comics Podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo is a t-shirt line uniquely infused with augmented reality and inspired by cryptozoology figures like Bigfoot. It is designed by artist and owner Julian Meyer, and check out the amazing unique shirt designs at cryptidzoo.com. And don't forget to use the promo code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you will get 25% off your shirts. Again, that's www.cryptidzoo.com. If you're looking for a place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where love no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics Town Yabba dabba do, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to the Sunspots Comics podcast issue number 94, covering the comic books I read that came out on Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, February 15th. And this particular podcast is reporting live from Bedrock. I am your humble host, Chris LaSunstone. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here on the Sunspots Comics podcast, where I recommend to you an amazing list of top-notch comic books to read every single week. I mean, maybe you're brand new to comic books, you're really not sure what to get because there's so much to read. Or maybe you've been reading since the very formation of the town of Bedrock and you just want to save some time and some clams and want to know exactly what the best comic books are to buy. So that's what the Sunspots Comics Podcast is for. So tell a friend that, hey, I want to read some comics and uh, this guy is uh, recommending the best of. So please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Xbox Live at Sunspots Comics. And check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash And of course, thank you to my good friend Nick Papa George for making our Sunspots Comics theme song. And please follow him on facebook.com slash Nicholas Dell Music. Also, thank you to my son, Justin Jables Latori for his work on our Sunspots Comics blog. Please just check it out at blog.sunspotscomics.com. Dot com and follow him on Instagram, if you'd be so kind to do so, at Just Sunspots. His latest blog is on his favorite movies, his top five favorite movies of 2016, and they're good. So please check it out. And a quick announcement reminder, if you haven't uh, already seen, that on my Instagram, at Sunspots Comics, I'm giving away free digital codes for free comic books. All you gotta do is just follow me on Instagram every so often. I'm posting the Marvel or whatever comic book uh, that I have at the time that has a digital comic book code in it. I never use them. I don't read them. I prefer paper. So I'm giving them out for free. All you got to do is just check us out on Instagram from time to time. I randomly kind of post them. And then sometimes on podcasts, I even post them like on podcast 93. So check it out. I'll just randomly read a code sometimes and give out comic books for free. All you got to do is just check us out on Instagram. I will post those. And the first one to randomly get it and grab it and go to marvel.com slash redeem. 
uh, will get the comic book for free digitally where you can read on the Marvel app. So there you go. Just come and get it. Check us out on Instagram every so often for my random post of free digital comics. So let's get into the Sunspots Comics podcast issue number 94 with right off the bat some stuff that's just floating around in my fabulous nerd brain. (laughs) The first thing that's up in there is that this weekend was the Long Beach Comic Expo. It was two days. It was Saturday and Sunday. I just wanted to give you some of the quick highlights. One of them for me was meeting the founder and creator of the Action Lab Danger Zone comic book publishing title, Dave Dwanch. I want to say thank you and hello, shout out. He said he would peek into the com- uh, to the podcast, so wanted to say hello to Dave, but fantastic person. He's also a writer. He's got a great mind. He's just loaded with the love of comic books all up inside of him, so it was fantastic to meet you, Dave, and I'm looking forward to a, a long and fruitful friendship with you. So thank you very much for taking the time to hear me out and listen to my Zombie Destroyers pitch and just have a nice comic book talk. It was fantastic. And a little breakdown, a little highlight uh, also was uh, some of the panels. They were they were okay. They were good this year. Uh, one highlight for me was this podcasting uh, panel, which was really good. It was just some people that are known in the podcasting world, how they started, what technology they use, what are some of their techniques, what are some of the, the things they found out about doing podcasts over the years. A lot of them were experienced podcasters, so it was very cool. It was actually very rewarding and comforting to know that I'm doing some of the right things and also to learn some of the things I need to do to get a little bit better each time. So I hope uh, that as a listener, you're hearing that because I'm always trying to get a little bit better and humble myself and just make sure that I'm staying true and, and pure to my love of actual comic books. And then there was the the Artist Alley. It was a little light this year, but the three that were big for me, that was a big deal that I was a little starstruck. They're artists that I seriously respect in the business. There was Jim Chung who was doing a lot of Spider-Man and Avengers. He was fantastic. He did a little mini sketch for me, which was super nice for him, of a Spider-Man, which I love. And Tony Harris. Tony Harris did Starman. He did Ex Machina. He's doing this new one called Blood Blister. Tony Harris. He was nice enough to sign a Dark Knight 3 variant cover for me, which that was the only variant cover he did for the Dark Knight 3 series. So that was it's beautiful, and I love that I have it signed by him. And he's a super nice guy. Very pricey on the... Uh, on the sketch side and things, so I didn't get anything else done from him. And Humberto Ramos, he is a Spider-Man artist. I think he's exclusively Marvel as well. Fantastic artist. I got his autograph, chit-chatted with him for a little bit, and uh, talked a little Zombie Destroyers. But it was very nice, very humbling to see those three professionals, uh, Jim Chung, Tony Harris, and Humberto Ramos. Those are the three big highlights. And there were others, of course, too, but those are the three that really stood out to me as the uh, consummate professional and the sort of top-notch creme de la creme artist. And uh, they were great, good guys, and their work is phenomenal. Check out their stuff. Also, just some stuff I bought, which all of this, of course, especially the stuff I bought, I'll be purchasing, I'll be showing all of my purchases on Instagram, at Sunspots Comics very soon. But uh, I have to give a shout-out to T No Evil. Follow them on Instagram at T-E-E No Evil. And they, I picked up a Bruce T hat and some Bruce T's. And two awesome pins. One is of the Millennium Falcon that says home on it. I have the shirt that matches. And also a pin of Easy Street with Daryl from The Walking Dead as like his favorite playlist sort of pin. Him in the actual outfit with the A on it from The Walking Dead TV show. So please give a, a, a just kind of a, a glance. Put your eyeballs on them at T No Evil on Instagram. I'll share a little photo of uh, the stuff I took. And this awesome, amazing Boba Fett backpack. This actual Star Wars licensed backpack. It has a gazillion pouches all over it and tech pockets. And it's got like the molly looping, the sort of the sort of um, uh, 
you know, tactical molly looping that a lot of the, like, bulletproof vests have on them, and it's just very much, uh, just in the tone and color, and just feeling and captured just the awesomeness that Boba Fett is, the badassery of him, and I love it, and it was a great deal that I got, and I'll post that, I just, I don't even want to tear the tags off of it, I just love looking at it, it's just got, like, kind of Boba Fett's face in the front, and these brown leathery faux leather pouches, and just a bunch of little hidden zippers and pockets and pouches all over it, it's just... Phenomenal. I got it for a great price. So I'll show my amazing Boba Fett backpack on the social media here very soon. But overall, I would say that the Long Beach Comic Expo 2017 was good, not great. Uh, it also just, maybe it was the crazy weather, the the apocalyptic uh, Los Angeles storm they were expecting, which uh, that war on storm didn't really happen. <laughs> and uh, it maybe that was part of the reason why the attendance was nice and low. I, I say nice because... You know, sometimes you're body-to-body -body with people, and this definitely had some walking room, and it wasn't so jam-packed. There were even a lot of just an em a lot of empty space, where they normally have the, the entire showroom extended out to the very, from walls to walls. They had sort of stanchion uh, curtains blocking off certain empty areas of the show. So it, it was not packed, it was not crazy, and that gave it a little sort of very on the light side of the artist alley so i felt like there could have just been a lot more even maybe some more interesting panels and overall maybe some more of the panels that i like about the making of comic books there weren't very many of them so it was very light in that way but it was also a very nice sort of breezy experience whereas normally it's uh, very intense it's very you know a lot of jam-packed people and you have to really prepare yourself in all the ways that i prepare myself for a con it wasn't that it was easy it was breezy it was light and thank you for joining me, by the way, my friend Mike Norris, who's a friend of the podcast. He joined me on Saturday and had a great time with you, Mike, so thanks. We got some good stuff. And also to my dad. I brought my dad on Sunday, my dad, Roger. He listens to the podcast, too, so hey, pops. And it was fun. He'd never been to a con before, so I brought my dad and showed him around and introduced him to the whole nerd fortress and what his eldest uh, 40-something-year-old son is into <laughs> on a daily basis. And so he was a little blown away from it. And I saw his eyes just sort of very wide and like, wow, this is what it's all about. To uh, to sort of, okay, this is where the sales happen with some comics and you can buy there. And just the mixture, the diversity, the eclectic nature that is a comic book convention uh, had him a little stunned. But he really enjoyed it overall. He uh, had his camera with him and... You were cracking me up, Dad, with some of the pictures you were taking of some of the cosplayers. <laughs> Maybe a little creepy at times there, Pops, but it was hilarious <laughs> to see you taking pictures of some of the scantily dressed cosplayers. But hey, you're 75 years old, you're doing your thing, hey, you enjoy yourself. And uh, that's just another example of how comic book conventions, there's a little something for everybody. <laughs> uh, even a man that's 75 years old and his son is really into it. But thank you again, Pops, for joining me on Sunday and it was just it was fun like I said overall a good not a great uh, Long Beach Comic Expo hopefully you'll uh, hear this and uh, take it as constructive criticism and do things a little different next year I'll still be there but uh, and every year I always enjoy it and uh, the last thing that's on my nerd lobes is that I'm actually writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers that's right I'm doing the writing the coloring the lettering and my friend Jordan Hudson hello Jordan is doing his amazing Art, please check out Jordan Hudson's Instagram. It's at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. It's beautiful stuff. His work on Zombie Destroyers is also posted on my website, zombiedestroyers.com. We've got four sample pages there, no words, just some pencils and light inks. But you can check it out there and see some updates from time to time at zombiedestroyers.com. And just a quick update. 
Jordan and I are still collaborating over his pencils on pages 19 and 20. We foresee that 30 should be the end, and it's looking glorious. 19 and 20 are an interesting layout. He's doing his Jordan thing, as I call it. It's looking really super good, and I can't wait to show it to you. Hopefully, by Q2, maybe early summer, that's what we're looking like. We should have issue number one, the sort of marketing campaign for it, and a bunch of copies actually printed, which I'm, I'm printing and publishing it myself for now, and I hope to show it to you and the world very soon. That's my comic book, Zombie Destroyers. And next up, just a quick mention that this Wednesday, tomorrow, it's actually Tuesday, uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, February 22nd, I'll be interviewing writer Marcus Nasso and artist Jason Muir of the Action Lab Danger Zone comic book called Voracious Feeding Time. It's been on the, number one was on the top pick list, and just a little, uh, little peek, number three is on the top pick list, which I'll be discussing on the countdown very soon. But I can't wait to talk to them and share with you uh, an interview, a discussion, and just a geeking out conversation we have for Podcast 95 next week. So please tune into it and go buy Voracious Feeding Time from the Action Lab Danger Zone publishing title. It is good stuff. It's time travel. It's alternate realities. It's anthropomorphic dinosaurs that have evolved into an actual being, the primary being on their planet, and how that sort of time traveling, alternate universe traveling mixes with our own time and our own world and how those things come together in a very interesting, action-packed, fun kind of way. So check out Voracious Feeding Time, and I'm going to be interviewing the creators. Like I said, Mark Marcuson Nasso and Jason Muir. Uh, I'm be interviewing them tomorrow on Wednesday night, so I'm looking very much forward to that, and I'll share it with you on Podcast 95 next week. And also, we have a thank you and hello to the four other interviews, you know who you are, that are lined up, that we're just working out schedules. I'll get you on very soon. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. And I uh, know it's not an excuse. I have a full-time gig, so this uh, is also on top of that. And uh, we'll get you all in there. But thank you and, and those four people on standby. We're going to have you on the show very soon, and I'll be sharing those interviews with you. Yes, in your earlobes. But also, just to mention our spotlighting segment, if you yourself are an independent comic book creator or you know someone that is, we want to do our part here at Sunspots Comics to give you some support and show your work and talk about your work to to the world and to my listeners. And as a, as a struggling independent comic book creator myself, I know it's difficult and you can use all the help that you can get out there, so we're here to help. So if you're a writer, an artist, a colorer, a letterer, it doesn't matter, just send me a link to your work, send me review copies to my email Chris at sunspotscomics.com. Of course, or just message me on all the social media at sunspotscomics. Because, like I said, we want to do our part and share the love and spread all the positive vibes that we can about independent comic book creators and their work. So we want to do what we can there. So now, on to the comic book news. I've got just uh, one comic book news article this week. And it is a comic book feel-good factoid freebie. Yes. What the heck are those? Well... That's just when I want to actually discuss some of the stories I see out there in the world that just kind of warm the very innards of my nerd heart. And this week I heard that Kevin Smith of Clerks and of his Smodcast and Fat Man on Batman, Batman etc. All of the stuff. I mean, he's uh, he's even directing uh, two episodes of Supergirl and two episodes of The Flash. He has landed... A brand new gig that I'm super excited about, and that he will be the he will develop a Sam and Twitch uh, TV show that is a police procedural set in the world of the Todd McFarlane Spawn comic book. He's going to be doing it for BBC. No indication yet as to when this is actually happening, 
but it is official he is going to be writing, directing, executive producing the series. That's just based on the Sam and Twitch police detectives uh, as a kind of murder crime um, you know, story, which I think is going to be great. I hope that Spawn is in it. I hope it's kind of it's not in the ways of Gotham, which is all just sort of prequel, and you never see Batman. I hope that that Smith does it right. I mean, he's he's ultimately the nerd consummate professional. He is at his very core is just he's very much infused in his and the fibers of every part of his being are in the realm of comic books, and so I think that particular series is going to be in great hands. Uh, BBC as well. I love their format that you only have three to five episodes per season and that's it. And they usually are longer, almost movie length at an hour and a half. I hope that happens as well uh, because with so much television content out there, for me, a format like that means something. It really does because they're going to pack more into it. They're going to really try to make a solid three or four episodes for an entire season. So even binging is shorter. And I believe that good things are totally worth the wait. So I hope that Kevin really just revels in this kind of format. Makes it very adult because BBC doesn't have the sort of ratings uh, that that a lot of American television and shows have to anchor to. He won't really have the worry of that. BBC is a little freer in that area. So I'm sure it's just going to hopefully be a very true vision, a very a true um, explore, exploration of Todd McFarlane's vision of Spawn the comic, specifically focusing on Sam and Twitch, which are very interesting characters, that buddy cop thing. Who doesn't love the buddy cop thing, right? So I can't wait to see it. Each, they say each episode is going to be closed-ended, but in ways tied to each other with also certain characters being serialized. So uh, I like all of it conceptually. I am on board. So BBC... Kevin Smith at the helm of Sam and Twitch based on the Spawn comic book. That's big news for me, and I, I can't wait to see when that's going to happen. I hope uh, that they just do it right. I don't mind waiting for it. Let's just uh, get together with Todd. He's uh, The man is a, is a genius in the realm of comic books. I just uh, I can see Kevin and Todd together. Just really, that's just going to be insane and in how that, that synergy comes together. But that's it. That's all of the news I have. Just that one comic book feel-good factoid freebie. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> And, uh, man, can't wait to see some of Sam and Twitch with a hopefully sprinkled in a little visit from Spawn every so often. That would be awesome. And now on to my favorite part of the Sunspots Comics podcast, which is my comic book reviews and recommendations, where I pick my favorite comic books for New Comic Book Day, Wednesday, February 15th. And, of course, spoiler, semi-spoiler-ish alert. Ring the bell. <laughs> but don't really worry. I never really touched the last couple of pages. I don't cover every single interesting point of the comic to kind of ruin the whole thing for you. I really just want to use my powers of persuasion to inspire you to getting up and going to buy these comic books. So I'm really just trying to get people to love them because I love them so much and just kind of um, get you to know exactly what the best stuff is without giving you every single bit of it, but talking you into it ultimately. So you go into a local comic book shop and buy them. But you have been warned, just in case, semi-spoiler-ish alert. <laughs> And also, if you just want to see a glimpse into everything that I'm reading, all of my favorite picks, since all the way back to May of 2015, just go to sunspotscomics.com, click on pull list to see all of the 148 titles I'm currently reading. That's right, 148. That's nuts. <laughs> but I usually read somewhere between, you all know, between 10 to 30 comics per week. And also, please click on Top Comic Books of the Week, and you'll see all of my past top picks. So if you really just want to know some of the amazing stuff that's out there, 
just go and click on that on sunspotscomics.com. I recently updated it. I fixed up the 148 title list. I'm super proud of it. So please just check it out again, sunspotscomics.com. And every single week, of course, I like to pick a couple of winners. I pick a, a actual art winner for interior art, and I pick a cover artist winner. And this week, the art winner is Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley did the interior art for Invincible from Image Comics, number issue number 133. Check him out on Instagram, at Ryan Otley, O-T-T-L-E-Y. His work is ridiculous. It's gory. It's over the top. It's very blood squirty at times, but so hyper detailed he has such an imagination it's like when you look at his work you're just living in the world living in ryan otley's mind and it's a twisted but yet beautifully amazing place to live but check it out ryan otley's amazing that's at ryan otley but his work is gorgeous it's the super duper clean lines on this one he um, has to cover a funeral scene which every single face on the emotions of all of his characters clearly and easily show exactly the emotion that they're all going that they're all having at this funeral and it he sells it it's a hard thing to sell a ton of people looking sad on a comic book page and ryan otley does it and in spectacular fashion and the coloring of it is phenomenal he of course is one of the best when it comes to speed and the way he uses physics for when there is an altercation going down at the funeral and it ends up into a fight and it's just sort of people being all conflicted and shocked with this and he has to do all of these emotions here and he sells it i mean how do you sell it's even harder to sell a character that has one eye and to sell the emotions on their faces and he does it so professionally and so perfectly and it's just it must take him forever <laughs> he's been gone for a while too so it's great to see ryan otley one of my favorite artists of all time back at the helm of invincible and he has some unique paneling here he does a, a great flying through the air fight scene like almost no one does it better uh he i love that he lives in the world of pink so much and it's really about the emotions that he sells for this very emotional comic book so hats off to you ryan otley the interior art on this is some of your best work of all time and i'm a big lover of grizzly shark <laughs> go check that out check out grizzly shark but anyway, the um, cover artist this winter was Tommy Lee Edwards. And Tommy Lee Edwards did the cover for the Vertigo title, Mother Panic. And he did issue number three. And this cover is glorious. It's a DC Young Animal imprint. Uh, this is written by Jordy Hauser and it's art by Tommy Lee Edwards. His cover shows his character Mother Panic falling down, sort of upside down, on fire, going through a like stairwell of a large building that's kind of an an old-fashioned oak wooden style um circular stairway as the character falls down the middle of that stairway at the bottom there's fire it's like this cover tells like a very interesting story as well when you have batwoman peeking in at the top row here opening one of the doors and just sort of observing this character being on fire and falling through the center of this circular stairway it's just very symmetrical and very appealing to the eye the fire is done so realistically and beautifully colored i'm a big sucker for yellow and orange and white as you know sunspots comics but uh it, the character's outfit's all white and there's sort of reflections of colors onto that that outfit so there is sort of a shimmeriness that ha that, that the outfit has the character wears sort of hockey gloves which i'm just a humongous hockey nerd so I love to just sort of see that, but there's sort of superhero-esque, um, like sort of jewel and encrusted hockey gloves, and it's just this all-white, very very striking image of uh, the character Mother Panic falling what seems to be her death 
down the bottom of where there is this at the bottom of this great circular stairway just all fire but it's striking it's beautiful and it's mainly done in the purple hue which just looks amazing all of that the purple the orange the it just works tonally and it is beautiful <clears throat> it's one that i want a shirt of a, a mug of i want to hang it on the wall i need it uh, i'd love to buy like an original piece of art from tommy lee edwards um in case you're listening tommy i'm, I'm looking for you i want to buy some stuff but anyway check out tommy lee edwards on instagram for his glorious mother panic issue three cover and more at tle storyteller that's tommy lee edwards tle storyteller on instagram but he follow him his war his work is gorgeous you'll love looking at his pictures on instagram it's fantastic and the breakdown quickly i actually purchased 30 comics this week that may be a record holy large pile batman 30 comics i can't believe it i haven't uh, bought 30 comics in one week in a very long time and there were a couple in here as well that were like hardcover editions or like 120 pages uh it was a lot of comics this week and 14 of them made it to the great ones recommendation list and that's almost that 50 percent where i really want to live so i was happy to see that that many actually made it i was really strict on them this week for some reason that was just the tone so these were super great i would say that i probably graded them on a little tougher scale so they're probably even better than i recommend (laughs) honestly it was just the mood i was in i guess but and also there were they always tell you when how many new number ones there were, and there were five new number ones this week, and only one made it to the great ones list, and that one is super great, and I'll discuss that on the countdown here very soon. So, without any further ado, ado, <laughs> let's get into my comic book recommendations. This is my great ones list of comic books for New Comic Book Day, February fifteenth. I consider these comic books to be the greatest of the great ones, and only the great ones will make it to the Sunspots Comics recommendation list. So. With that aside, here we go. Coming in at issue number 14 is Cave Carson. Cave Carson, issue number 5. And Cave Carson is a DC Young Animal imprint. And it's a... uh, This is a team Gerard Way is kind of co-writing with John Rivera. And this is art by Michael Avon Oming. And the cover, by the way, is stunning. It's got his Cave Carson sidekick... Uh, Angry Dog, I think is his name, or something dog. (laughs) I think it's Angry Dog. And he's wearing a hockey helmet, and he's just kind of melting on the cover. So interesting concept. And then down below, there's sort of a recap of sort of what's happening with Cave Carson there, eating or drinking like a strange liquid or soup that's glowing pink that's pouring out of it. So sets the tone, right? Strange. It has kind of a psychedelic, very um, kaleidoscopy cover. So it very much tells you this is a weird comic. It's strange. It's unique. It's interesting. And that's exactly what you're getting with Cave Carson. But it's it's been a past pick winner. So check this out. The opening page is, as well is like this strange background of this, this, this cave town that he's run into. And sort of their origin. And it's completely weird and very interesting. It has to do with aliens and this strange stone that they find. And some of the alien stone that's left behind. And this alien meteorite that sort of crashes down into this cave. But it is visually stunning. Uh, it has that sort of lightning bolt down the middle of the page where all of the art is, is sort of segmented by this lightning bolt that goes through the page. So it's beautiful, glorious. Hats off to the art. Really sells it in a very cartoony, very brightly lit, colorful style. But Cave Carson here, the, the heart of it for me is the relationship with his daughter and his, uh, his strange angry dog sidekick. 
And that's the really the core of it. They're on this strange adventure in this cave. They're trying to figure out why the place that Cave Carson used to work for is trying to murder him. And you get some key elements here as to why they're trying to murder him and his family and everyone that he knows. And I don't want to spoil that, but it's in this issue. So it was really meaty in that way, giving you a lot to chew on as far as the real core story here of why this uh, science corporation that Cave Carson worked for is trying to end him and everyone that he knows. And that's in this. And you also go back to a, a bit of a, a heartbreaking sequence referencing Cave Carson's wife that passed away of cancer. She was a native of this strange underground village, this underground community that live in miles and miles within the earth that never have gone to the surface. But that's the only area they know is deep within the, the bowels of the earth. And she was royalty. She was like the princess and the king and queen there seeing Cave Carson, they're very emotionally affected by that. And I thought, man, that, that was grounded in realism and felt very tense and emotional. And they, it was very awkward. There was one of those awkward sequences where here is their son-in-law and their daughter is, is gone and they kind of semi-blame him for taking her to the surface and for not bringing her back home into the, into the cave dwelling that is home. So, um, yeah, just a bit, a bit sad and and felt real and felt good and great emotions on the faces they sell it but it's action-packed it's adventure they as uh, like I said the the villain sort of villain reveal in this but check it out Cave Carson issue number five they're only on five so you can easily grab one through four they tie in together really well if you aren't reading the past issues they don't necessarily so stand alone but but um, you can figure most out. There isn't a recap section in the very first page, which I miss that sometimes. I like that just to, especially when you're reading 30 comics and it's hard to remember all the continuities at times. By the way, creators, I just, I love that, that splash recap page. Do more of that. But anyway, number 14, Cave Carson, issue number five. Coming to number 13 is Kill or Be Killed. Uh, this is uh, the Im image title, which I've been loving. It's, uh, it's out there. It's very very kind of in the vein of the punisher is what it kind of reminds me of but this is the the so super successful team of ed brubaker and sean phillips and this is a gritty sort of grimy sort of strange story whereas this young man who who could have some mental issues here is being told by a demon that he has to kill people or he will be killed and his soul will be dragged down to hell so I love it. I'm like, um, some people didn't really dig the demon aspect of it. I totally love it. But he's decided to sort of come a vigilante, to become the Punisher, and find uh, people that are scumbags that need to be eradicated from the planet. And that's who he's decided to kill. But I love the duality of, is there really even a demon, or is there not? Is he just uh, having a psychotic break? It's it's definitely of that vein of, uh, you know, Moon Knight, which makes me love Moon Knight so much. It's that... What is reality? What is not reality? That duality there. There is definitely this, but it's set in a more grimy, realistic, real-world tone like of modern day, uh, except for the demon. But he's uh, wearing a hood. He's wearing a red mask. He, This opening sequence is, is him with policemen. So this is the first time that he's really kind of given that, well, is he going to just kill policemen? I mean, it still meets his requirement of killing people for demons, but he's kind of creating his own... Dexter-like code where he's only killing evil people and uh, how does he get out of that it's an interesting uh, look and like I said very realistic look of all the comic books that I read this week I'd say this one is the closest to reality because this man could just be having a psychotic break and there could be no demon at all but 
there's always flashes to this sort of very awkward, very uncomfortable uh, girl that was his best friend that he's always crushed on, and they had sort of uh, some awkward, intimate moments, but it ultimately it just doesn't end up very pretty. And there's always little hints of that, and he has sort of very low self-esteems and, and, and sort of battles depression, and he's on medication. It's kind of, you know, some real-world world problems there for people in our world, and so it's uh, it's it's that there. And sometimes I depart and don't like to stay too much in the real world, but honestly, the demon aspect and that maybe it's real, maybe it's not real is what's kind of the seller for me in this. So if you're interested in that with a very realistic, gritty sort of crime Punisher-like comic, then Killer Be Killed is for you. It's absolutely for you. But this introduced a investigator that's hot on his trail as well, and she's a very interesting character, and it shows the sort of background for her and what she's all about. So they're definitely developing some interesting characters here. And uh, and also, this is the bit of the aftermath after he did kill someone that was evil, and he's trying to escape, and he's realizing and learning some of the things he's doing wrong as he's going along. It's kind of like I said, like year one of The Punisher. And uh, I'm enjoying it. Killer Be Killed. That's my number 13 pick of the week. Killer Be Killed, issue number six. And coming in at number 12, also I've incorporated a little bit of a special mention into the number 12 pick. It's the Flintstones. I've been talking about on previous podcasts that I'm way late on it. They're up to issue number eight. And I finally did read them all. So I've read issue number one through eight. Eight is the newest issue that came out actually week before last. It was a brand new release. But go and get these all together. They are they are tied in in a way, but they're also very standalone, and it's just a very much a reflection on our world, but done in a satirical, uh, satirical way, and it's funny. It's developed so well. the The strange little talking appliances are a big seller for me. They're weird. They're interesting. They're fun. They're sad. Like there's a pink elephant that's a a vacuum cleaner and it's just left alone all the time and gets sad from that. <laughs> in a way, it's just funny in a way as well, but. You know, Fred and the gang. I wasn't the biggest Fred Flintstone cartoon fan, but I am a fan of this comic. And it is ins- it's so inspiring that I kind of want to peek into some old Flintstone episodes. But he actually goes to a, a group that has PTSD from the Stone Wars. <laughs> and uh, they glimpse into that as to what the Stone Wars are. It's kind of interesting. I don't want to blow it for you, but it's a neat little tale there. And they finally have some flashbacks because they're referencing it constantly. And they go to a a support group, a PTSD support group for the Stone War veterans. And it's just interesting there as to what they're doing. And so you glimpse into the Stone War. Again, I don't want to tell you what it is because it's a neat little uh, flashback adventure that you just sort of enjoy living in that flashbacky world of the Stone Wars. But yeah, there's also a showing of how Bam Bam comes into existence. And they even tinge on the little bit of the heartbreaking and sad, and it's definitely a realistic sort of look at relationships at times and how Wilma and Fred deal with each other. I mean, it's definitely a modern-day taking, a modern version of the of these 60s, 70s uh, cartoon series, The Flintstones, but done in its own unique way. And they're visited by aliens and how that all goes down, and they even just sort of find television for the first time their version of it and how it's affecting the common everyday household and how stuff and things are affecting all of these prehistoric man and how they just are collecting things now for no particular reason and collecting appliance and how that's even a modern day you know um reflection on consumerism and everything and it's just uh like i said it's it's smartly written this is by the way the team of uh, mark russell and he has uh, Steve Pugh 
on art and it's just it's hilarious it's like i said it's a great little satire it's like a a fun little a weekly show that I that I can just see reading this constantly or even see it as a new animated series it's definitely like a you know it's a it's a great like comedy uh, family fun and it's uh, it's not necessarily for all ages which is strange because of its sort of unique and mature tone and the relationship aspect of it wouldn't say it's for kids which you'd kind of think it would be but Mark Russell's writing a unique take it's like they've just given him complete freedom and just said go nuts with this uh, licensing we're not doing anything with it so pitch us into something that's odd and weird and different that's this that is the Flintstones and I was really surprised by it and like I said, I'm giving a special spotlight of all issues. Go back and pick up numbers one through eight. But eight itself, uh, I just you know gave you hints of that. If it's the the Stone War flashback, it's Wilma's origin as well, which goes back into how her family was just her her father was just giving away the daughters and giving away his wife to trade for goats, <laughs> and that she decided to run away from home from that. And it's a little heartbreaking in that that relationship she has with her mother. And yet it's kind of hilarious that, you know, he's just giving away the women in his in, in his life for goats. Because, <laughs> you know, man's got to eat is the way they write it. And it's just, it's, um, you know, it's it's chauvinistic. It's uh, it top it just handles so many things of how prehistoric man would be in inappropriate ways that are funny. So check out the Flintstones. Number eight is my number 12 pick of the week. It's just solid. Steve Pugh's art is fun to look at. It's light. It's very just, I love, of course, all the little chew-like uh, the comic book Chew that did a great job at writing these little teeny comic blurbs. And they do that, of course, with renaming of modern things like Star Bricks and other sort of stores. We a Tar Pit instead of Target. It, it, it's a gag that to me never gets old. And I love all of them in the background. Don't forget those and don't miss those in the background the way just they've named modern stores. It's hilarious. <laughs> you can't miss that. But go check out the Flintstones. It's only on issue eight. I'm sure one through five has been collected. But go check out the Flintstones. You will be super happy you did. And coming in at number 11 from DC Comics is Super Sons number one. This is the only new number one that made it to the countdown. The only one of the five new comics that came out. This is uh, written by Peter Tomasi who's doing a fantastic job. He has so captured this Super Sons fun story. He does the story in the words Peter Tomasi and this is glorious beautiful art. One of my favorite artists right now Jorge Jimenez. You can check him out on Instagram at Jorge Jimenez art I think is what it is I'm almost sure that's what it was but it's gorgeous his cover is beautiful it's a splash page of Batman and Superman in the background watching their sons you got Damien and Jonathan together and I think this is going to be a partnership I think this is something we're going to see for a long time to come because they're they're mixing together and neat they two personalities which are very different very two sides of of a different kind of personality yet they come together and and have that common that one common thing, of course, which is which is fighting crime and being superheroes. But personality wise, they're very different. Jonathan's taller, and of course is invulnerable, and Damien is much more tactical and and highly trained in swords and weaponry. And Damien's a little dark cloud. Jonathan's a little bit of a, a bright sunny day, and it's just that reflection of their dads. But it is a, a great and glorious piece of fun here. The opening sequence is a little bit mysterious as well as we're maybe introduced to a future kid villain, but you're not really sure. This kid villain has like a television set and like his family that's all sitting around him doing everything that this kid tells them to do, like Purple Man powers maybe. But it's in a TV set and he's calling everyone in this scene like Archie and 
and uh, and and Jughead. I think he's just giving them fake names in this fake TV show. But it's kind of like whatever this kid says, they do, and like they're under his spell. But it's a little creepy. I think it's going to be a future. I'm gonna call it. They don't really maybe say his name, but maybe he's a grandson of a Lex, a Luthor or something. He's got red hair and freckles and kind of looks like he could be potentially a Luthor, which would be great, right? You got the three kids, uh, you know, you got this, all the three kids of, you know, two of superheroes and one of a supervillain. That could work, but I don't know. Maybe he's not. But his action sequences from Jorge Jimenez here are fantastic. He has that, that sideways paneling done here um, where he tweaks the vertical angle of it a bit. And I love that, and the way he shows blurring and, and them being shot at. They're running at first, uh, the, the two boys are, from something. I don't want to blow it all. But uh, then you get a little flashback scene, or it goes back to earlier before this little action sequence began, where uh, they're on a bus, Jonathan's on a bus, and he's trying not to use his powers or make it obvious to sort of stop these bullies on the bus. And uh, that's, a, that's, of course, the... That challenge that Superman always has, which is, you know, doing the right thing without showing his powers and trying to live a normal life on, you know, through part of what he does. And Jonathan has that struggle here and you feel that struggle and you feel a little bit bad for him. But he also, of course, as a kid, doesn't necessarily make all the right decisions. And so he's going to fight those bullies. And that sequence here with them throwing snowballs, but yet these bully kids are putting rocks in the snowballs. It's just it's just family fun and gets a little serious. And then there's kind of a how Damien mixes into this and where he is as what he was doing, observing this in the entire sequence. It's pretty hilarious. I don't want to blow it because it's a great little punchline, but Damien's watching all this and he makes his presence known at one point and it's hysterical as to what you see here. But Super Sons, I'm in. I've added to the poll list. It's on there. And you do get a little visit from Batman kind of talking about the kids and, uh, you know, what are they going to do with them? And, you know, two dads just kind of, you know, hey, our, our sons, do they like each other? They're not sure. And I like that. that they're just kind of, they're just seeing how it goes right now and giving them a little freedom to sort of be kids and see what they do and observe them. <clears throat> and I love the family sequences of of Jonathan with Clark and Lois. It's, it's just that warm Americana, bright and fuzzy family feeling. They're playing cards. They're together. They're talking about real things. And it's just a, a family moment that'll warm your heart. That's that's what they've definitely grabbed on that concept with Jonathan and Clark and Lois. But love it. Super Sons. I've added it to my pull list. I want to see where this goes. I want to see what's happening here. I want to see that if that they go further with this new villain, potentially. Is that a new villain? But they only tap on that little opening sequence, and that's sort of it. But the ending page is a definitely a cliffhanger. You gotta you gotta peek into what happens here on the next, the the last page and what happens here. So uh, you gotta look and see what it's all about. It's definitely a nice little cliffhanger at the end of Super Sons issue number one. And number ten is God Country. God Country is issue number two. This is a image comic. This is words by Donny Cates and art by Jeff Shaw. And this is a crazy story on how the grandfather has Alzheimer's, but when he holds this crazy magical sword, he remembers everything. And he has this family, this son that's been trying to help him with Alzheimer's. I mean, it's a horrible affliction, it's a horrible disease. And the son's just doing his best to keep his family together. But the grandfather, when he's not holding the sword, is this mean, cruel, angry man that throws stuff at them. And he's even evil to their little, beautiful, cute little daughter. Um, his granddaughter, 
and he just has that disease. But when he gets this sword, all of a sudden he battles in the previous issue, he battles this this strange shadow monster that comes out of this tornado. And then we're visited by this sort of Greek god, kind of like Thor, that comes in and visits uh, Granddad here with this crazy magical sword. But if he puts the sword down, he will go right back to not remembering anything. So he's like holding it so very dearly and won't let it go. And this uh, Greek god, this Thor-like or god of war type, um, you know, mythological god being that visits Grandpa, you know, kind of tells him where the sword is from and what he needs to do and what is coming. And that's really all I want to tell you. That's the core of this story is, like I said, it's set in the Midwest. It has a little bit of that uh, that feel to it, that, you know, southern fried sort of story. But it's uh, it's definitely interesting a unique sort of premise beautifully drawn art here very gritty style very kind of sandy-esque look to things and his lines are very um very crisp and a lot of kind of scratchy sort of sean murphy kind of art he's the one that i always kind of think of when i think of this style of scratchy gritty and um, a lot of sort of speckly spraying um, on this to really give it that gritty kind of look but, you know, the, the granddaughter is here visiting Grandpa and wants him to stay Grandpa so he can't let go of the sword. And the wife's like, why doesn't he put the sword down? And they kind of figured it out like, hey, he's good when he has the sword in his hand. Which is strange that it kind of heals him. Will it heal him permanently? I hope so. That's kind of part of why maybe I'm watching this. And what's going to happen with this sort of new jumping off point that where this, this god has now given him sort of a glimpse as to what's coming to his planet and why they sort of need him holding on to that sword but god country very good very interesting very enthralling unique kind of premise and i like that and i'm in and surrounded by some great line art just just gorgeous gorgeous art from jeff shaw so i'm definitely a fan of jeff's uh, from now on and coming in at number nine is Invincible Iron Man number four. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis and artist Stefano Caselli. And I tell you, Invincible Iron Man, this is the story of uh, Riri Williams. I've been kind of on the fence where the last uh, first two issues were strong, and then it kind of, it kind of, I don't know, faded out a little. Uh, maybe the first issue was really solid, and two and three were just kind of okay. I was maybe on the fence of letting it go, possibly. Well, I'm glad I didn't, because issue number four was back to solid. And... It's an, I like their little recap. They do a recap page. And I appreciate that, Brian Michael Bendis. Thank you very much. And it's told by Riri in uh, Talk Narrative. So it's just there and it gives you a little breakdown. But I like that. It's always helpful. I think that Brian Michael Bendis knows that most comic book readers read a ton of different, a variety, a diverse, eclectic uh, mix of comics. And sometimes they're not always delivered on time once a month. And we got to kind of remember the continuity. So that's why those recaps help. We have Riri and Pepper Potts in fighting ninjas with glowing swords. It's, it was just just fun. We, they don't know yet who the, the villain is, but the villain is revealed. <clears throat> I don't want to say who it is, so you can kind of see that fun aspect of it. But this uh, technologically, um, psychically, telekinetically controlling electronic device sort of villain is uh, hired or has a bunch of sort of ninjas with these glowing crazy yellow swords... And they're not doing well. This fight is not doing so hot. Pepper Potts is a much more a better skilled hand-to-hand fighter than maybe we've known, but it works. And Riri has to basically run for it. I like that she uh, is very technologically savvy. She's an amazing genius, you know, MIT student at 15, etc. 
but she is not trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat or anything of that nature or how to fight guys with swords, so she just has to run, and Pepper has to do her best to kind of hang in there to provide cover for Riri to, to jet. And as she does, she finds this young man in a hallway with a laptop, and she's able to uh, log into the, to the Stark servers and speak to the AI version of Tony Stark for some help. And uh, for some, hey, send me some suits. But it is, it's just action-packed, it's non-stop, it's very dialogue light, and she's so smart with the computer, like, like I said, she's able to log in in a matter of seconds, get Tony to be on this computer. And I love the humor there, he's like, do you have me on a crappy laptop? And it's just, Tony's... Tony being the AI now of Riri Suits uh, is a great little uh, interesting uh, premise. I love it. But yeah, it's just action-packed. It's fighting. There's some great uh, dialogue between Pepper Potts and Riri. They, she's definitely figuring her out in a matter of seconds to see what her fighting style is like and what she can do. And so she, you know, she decides to save the younger girl and, and Pepper's doing what she can. But she's just getting tore up here. And yeah, Tony is going to help. The AI technology is going to help. What he does is cool and fun, and you have to see it. It has to do with um, the multitude of Iron Man suits, but I like it here. It's got a, definitely a little twist, cliffhangery ending here with some unique multiple pan paneling done with some very smart, very small art, but great use of space, great use of uh, darks and blacks and shadows here to really give it this striking imagery whenever they blast their repulsor fires. Um, so, loving it. I, I'm back on. I'm back in to Invincible Iron Man. I'm glad I stuck with it. Issue number four is solid. Check it out. It kind of stands alone. You don't really need to know what happened previously, especially with the recap page. But number one especially was fantastic of uh, Invincible Iron Man. But check it out. And that's, of course, where we are introduced to Riri. But uh, next up, coming in at number eight, is Unfollow. Issue number 16. Unfollow is by... Um, I'm loving Unfollow. It's just... It's just out there. It's like the, it's like the what if story of uh, if Twitter just kind of went, kind of went nuts, in this strange social experiment. But it's writer Rob Williams, artist Mike Dowling, and Mike Dowling's been off this title for at times here and there. And when he is, it definitely suffers a bit. But um, but but I but Williams does a great job of still writing some very meat, some very heavy. Uh, dialogue parts in those um, issues where you can't miss them. So I, I can't say the art was that bad. It was good. But when when Dowling is back in, you know it. His art is very super hyper-realistic. The, the facial expressions are, are just fantastic. He's a top-notch person. He does a, a really good job of making people look different so that you're not reading a comic going, oh, which one am I? Who is that? Is They have the same hair and the same face and kind of the same nose. Who am I looking at? Which one am I watching? I'm not sure. But... It is very simply and easily to identify each and every sort of different person. But this just has this <laughs> this this uh, this dark web group of people that are putting the internet like they're putting the internet on a flash drive. <laughs> that they're putting the internet aside somewhere, and that goes horribly wrong because of this strange experiment that the creator of uh, Twitter, in a way, I think they call it MindSpace, said that he's dying and he's giving his billions to 140 people, like as the 140 characters. On Twitter and what happens to them so he's leaped forward in some time here there are not many of them left I want to say uh, at the, actually at the cover of every issue they tell you how many are left and there's 40 so 100 of them have been killed and they not have all been killed like one per issue sometimes there's groupings of them killed so you can definitely go back and enjoy all of this it's definitely a kind of reread because of the action the strange premise of people just trying to kill each other because they're left billions 
and we're and it's focusing around this one character I want to say his name is Mike who actually looks a lot like the actor common he has uh, created and hired a militia to, to protect him he sort of looks like he's going to be the winner of this and maybe take more of the offensive than as just the de the defensive that he's kind of been going with and that's why there's been this leap forward in time it's sort of you miss some of the evolution of this character of common I'll call him <laughs> and now he's you know he's uh, more of a badass and he looks completely different he's changed but he still has these visions where he sees like leopards and tigers and animals speaking to him that are giving him sort of this advice so he's a twisted character in himself, but they have a message that Mr. Twitter Creator is not dead, and they're on their way to see him. That Larry Farrell, I think was his name, the creator of Mindspace. And they're on their way to see him, and yeah, this guy has another plan. It's like he's just got this master plan for this strange social experiment, and it takes some interesting, weird twists here. But unfollow, check it out. It's fantastic art, um, combined with uh, just synergy on all levels. Just a strange and interesting premise. And like I said, this social experiment of what would happen if the owner of Twitter just decided to give his billions away to randomly 140 people. Or was it randomly? There's a lot of mix of that in there too. And I like that. But coming in at number seven is the cover art winner of the week. That is the DC Young Animal Imprint Mother Panic issue number three. This is written by the Faith writer. She writes the valiant title Faith, Jody Hauser. And this is artist Tommy Lee Edwards. Tommy Lee Edwards is a phenomenal artist. I have just uh, followed him uh, as well on Instagram, like I said, at T-L-E Storyteller. So check out his stuff. But Mother Panic is very stylized, very stylized action, uh, very hyper-realistic art, but in that, and again, that scratchy sort of line, sort of delivery way of looking a little like on the Sean Murphy side of things, but cleaner and clearer, and uh, such a wide range of coloring palette here i mean very unique lots of greens and purples and blues and you have batman here observing this that we have another sort of hero costumed hero in gotham in mother panic and who is she and we've got to find out who she is they send batwoman and i love that they send someone to go investigate and see what she's all about and one of the unique sellers here for me is that and it's strange that it is but it's just interesting and funny is that mother panic swears like a sailor and She's even speaking that way to Batwoman, and Batwoman's just not picking up on it and can kind of care less, but every other word is F you and F this and F me, F you, and it's just weird to see that in a DC comic. It still is. It's still a little jarring, but still kind of fun, and I can't help but chuckle at each time they're using that language, and I don't think that's really the way it's meant. She's meant to kind of deliver this badassery moment, but I still just kind of find it funny that she's uh, going about delivering a lot of the, the way she's talking to Batwoman in that way. And yes, they fight. So that's sort of the key seller for me is, is Mother Panic, which has this unique, striking, fox-like, very large white helmet and an all-white outfit with these white sort of hockey gloves, gauntlets, more like, that it just looks striking. And there's a cape involved, and it has like these sort of orange eyes, which is very different in the coloring scheme for almost, almost any hero I can sort of think of. And she has a sort of very personal mission that she is on, which has less to do with how it could help Gotham and more about how it's vengeance for something that's happened to her, which I don't want to ruin it, but that's sort of her motivation. And she's really not giving up anything to Batwoman here, but they're fighting and the fight sequence is great. It's on rooftops, they're flying off, there's gadgetry involved, there's definitely some interesting uh, fighting styles done here in martial arts that look very striking. Tommy Lee Edwards, hats off. And he does this thing too, which I'm sure 
they've, I, mean, I think they've given him artistic freedom here to add these sort of strange images here and there that kind of relate to the fight. And there's like Batwoman sort of strange little imagery done here. An imagery with an eagle that's all red, that's like coming down on them with claws. And as they, as they're fighting, it sort of ties into the fight sequence because there's a statue there of an eagle, and it's just this unique, like unique little glimpse, little little extra touch of something. Like I think that's just visually kind of stunning. Like there's a snake with like lightning coming out of the bottom of it, and and it sort of has to do with what happens in the fight in that scene. And I don't want to blow that either, but it's like I said, um, Mother Panic is. On uh, her, in her alternate reality, and her, her uh, secret identity, she's kind of this uh, Kardashian in a way. She's like a uh, someone that's made a lot of money just being in the public eye and being rich and not really doing anything. But in her in her costume persona, she is on this hell bent mission of revenge to sort of help her mother, which seems like her mother has uh, dementia possibly, and is giving her a strange kind of advice, which I want to see where that goes. But just unique and interesting right there i'm i'm just loving it and uh check out mother panic it's only on issue three the only bummer is like i said is the delivery of it it's been like eight weeks ten weeks sometimes in between each issue so i mean i i hope they make it a little more regular but it's worth the wait because you could tell the art is so intricate and involved even like i said townscapes landscapes uh, and sh epic sort of far shots are it's very well very well in set, setting up this very intricate realistic uh, scene and set and I like that it just has a real super real but yet fun and comic booky tone to it so go get mother panic like I said the cover is glorious and next up coming in at number six is Superman issue number 17 from DC Comics and this is again Mr. Tomasi he's just doing so well on all on the, all the Spider-Man or Superman titles Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason's also credited as doing story here and the artist is someone new it's a it's Sebastian Fiumara new to Superman anyway I know he's done other stuff but um and colorist Dave Stewart and this is in the vein of Harrow County and I love it it's just kind of a one shot of Superboy Jonathan and he is uh, this next door neighbor that this young girl that saw him uh, actually destroy his cat. Yes, you have to see the first appearance of the new Superboy, Jonathan, where he accidentally uses his heat vision and makes some cat flambe. Well, she's come over to his door at a late hour and, his, uh, and Superman is out and Lois is at work. And he's kind of watching a horror movie, and that sort of sets the tone. <laughs> and she says that her their prize cow is missing, and her grandpa's missing. And so uh, Jonathan laces up his red Converse <laughs> and heads on out into the uh, into this forbidden forest in Hamilton County that they're not supposed to go into. So it like it feels like it's this homage to Harrow County. It just feels creepy. It has a very dark tone to it. This this artist is doing a great job of sort of capturing. Uh, spooky moments and shadowing and even when she's at the front porch and Jonathan's standing there and the door is open there's this moonlight that goes through their sort of picket fencing and it looks fantastic it's just he's really captured this spooky look and feel in the grays and, and purples and dark blue tones and they go off with their lights on their bicycles and flashlights to go find their prize cow Bessie and and the next door neighbor's grandpa 
and they step out of the darkness into some strange. Yes, there's these strange footsteps uh, through this very twisted forest, and they're going into it, and they're looking for Grandpa, and they sort of see some things, and they see a fog, and they see a dark silhouetted figure here that is frightening. Um, I love the way it's done. It's simple, and it has this just otherworldly to him because of his eye set sort of hollowed out with the moonlight kind of coming through it. And he seems to be standing in the distance and he seems to be like a giant. And from there, it just gets fun. I mean, the fog maybe is affecting their brains. Is this really happening or is this strange, dark, shadowy feet, you know, creature coming at them for real? And they panic and they're running and there's sort of a twisted element here of something that happens when they finally find the cow. All the animals that are coming at them are super sort of large and giant. It's like they're all kaiju animals coming at them in kai like a giant raccoon, a giant owl. It's all just mayhem and Jonathan is scared as well, but is using some of his superpowers to sort of hit him with trees and, and kind of get their, uh, their cover their trail so it's hard for them to be followed. But there's even a giant turtle. Yes, and I love turtles, so it's just a great dark silhouetting sequence here of this this snapping turtle coming at them, and it's just it's just phenomenally gorgeous and beautiful. But I love it. It's just kind of a one-shot story of them going through the wilderness. What happens? Do they find their prize cow? Do they find their grandpa? Is it real? Who is this shadowy figure? Will we see more of this shadowy figure? You're not sure, but it's uh, like I said, it's Jonathan Kent. And he's on uh, this uh, funky trail with a, with a neighbor's uh, daughter. And she knows of his powers too, so it's just kind of out in the open. He can kind of be himself, and, you know, they're sort of best friends. And it's just, it's kind of cute and heartwarming in that regard. But surrounded by this very spooky one-shot story. And there's really no Superman in it, but they gave the, the issue to Jonathan. And he's, he's just been fun, and it's been neat to see him. And it's very, it's humanizing Clark Kent, and it's just adding this family feel to him. And... I love it. I love it all. So I'm, I'm completely in. But check out Superman issue 17. It stands alone. This is, it's like it should have been out in Halloween. This would have been more fitted for a more fit for a release in October. But who cares? It, it, I love spooky all year long. And uh, check out Superman 17. Good stuff. And coming in at number five is from Action Lab Danger Zone. This is Voracious Feeding Time issue number three. And I love this issue. I mean, it's the highest ranking title of sort of an independent comic book publisher. Uh, and that says a lot because uh, it's a unique story. Like I said before, uh, it, it's definitely um, time travel and d alternate dimensions and dinosaurs that evolved into being the primary uh, predator creature on their planet, on the planet, in this different alternative reality slash uh, time traveling thing. But I love, 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 and I said this before when issue number one was on the top picks, uh, but that writer, um, um, Nasso, Marcassian, I'm so bad with his first name, I apologize, but that uh, Jason Muir and uh, Marcassian Nasso are doing a fantastic job here at, at laying out the previously on the recap issue on uh, and page on every single issue i love it it really sets the tone there's a a first collection of three or four issues i didn't even read that uh, uh first i read this first so reading the second arc first but their recap was so well done that i went back and read the the others and it, it didn't give you too much but it really made you understand sort of what's happening and there is this chef uh named nate who has uh is Basically, in a nutshell, he is the guy that he he inherited this sort of time traveling Iron Man suit, if you will, 
and he's found out that dinosaurs are delicious. <laughs> and the chef has decided to bring dinosaurs from this, which he thought was their past, into this restaurant. That's become like a big deal now. It's Fork and Fossil. And it's uh, come to find out here in this story, and this is only a minor uh, spoiler, it's a teeny spoiler, that they're not really taking dinosaurs from their, from our past. And that's kind of how the alternate reality slash time traveling thing kind of comes into play. But this particular uh, issue is just, it's, they've now found Nate, the di the dinosaur cop buddy duo, which I, I love them. It's, um, I don't think anywhere else do we have a dinosaur, uh, you know, duo here that are cops. But I love that. It's that buddy cop feel. And they're very, very different from each other. But you have a tr sort of triceratops uh, that is one character and like kind of a, a raptor slash pterodactyl character. Like even the dinosaurs have a unique little twist to them. And I love that, that they're, they've, you know, it's of course uh, uh, creatures that have evolved in, in, you know, millions of years, I'm sure. But they have Nate hostage here. In their reality, people are just vanishing. You're sort of back to the future, phasing out and being erased uh, from from time and they are desperate to find out why this is happening in their time and I love the look and feel of their time zone there's some technology that's advanced but yet it's very different sort of their rules that they have in the sort of dinosaur uh, humanoid uh, community is very kind of different and twisted in their own way they have a different style of thinking but the triceratops is sort of the cool-headed one but he's lost the love of his wife and she's just back to the future vanished and He's desperate and sad, but is kind of keeping his cool, where his partner, who's very sort of raptor-slash-bird-like, is the uncool one. And he's ready just to start torturing Nate and start ripping him apart, and that's kind of what happens in this one sequence here. And uh, it's it's a little vicious, and there is adult-natured um, you know, vocabulary used here, so be warned. But it's not over-the-top as well, I like that. It's not just gratuitously used, it's sort of when it's when it's appropriate in the dialogue and what's happening here to bring up that emotional level. And there are some dinosaur scientists here that are involved and they just really want to find out information. Are they doomed? Is this affecting their, their permanent timeline? How will this affect their world? I love that they're like intelligently looking at this and really trying to make the, the two police uh, cops here understand that you know, we don't want him harmed. There's so much information we need from him. If there's an, an alternate reality or is this time travel, like what is it? And they kind of, they've been told to keep their cool. But like I said, um, the, uh, the one partner does not. He absolutely can't keep his cool in this scenario. And it also seems like there's a hint to that he either had a, maybe a big crush on his partner's wife. Like he has sort of a flashback of a moment with her. And so maybe he was kind of in love with her as well. He doesn't, maybe he didn't do anything, this partner, but I loved that little, that little tease of that possibly being something that happened. Maybe that's what I gathered from it, from that one little sequence anyway, of where the, um, the character that is like kind of a, like I said, a, a raptor slash bird is at a bar and he's sort of having this, uh, remembering a moment with his, his partner's wife, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's action-packed, it's well-written, I have to give props off to Mark, Mark Asinasso, it's just, it's, it's just intricate, and it's subtle in some ways, but uh, they're trying to interrogate him, and trying to get all that they can out of him, and the, and the emotion in the face of this tri triceratops humanoid creature, you can tell he's in pain, you can tell that he just wants to find this out, so he can bring back his wife, and he's even trying to appeal to that part of his 
you know, to his human nature and just, hey, just tell us so I can, please, I can find my wife and figure out what's happening. And there's a reveal in this that I don't want to blow, but, and there's a cliffhanger at the end here, but um, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, when I interview them. But Voracious Feeding Time, issue number three, was such good stuff. And uh, like I said, I will be interviewing uh, Jason and uh, and him very soon, Marcasio Nasso, uh, very soon, and uh, talk about this even further. But Voracious Feeding Time, fantastic work. Uh, so much fun and action-packed and sci-fi and strange and unique and a great premise and love the recaps. That's a Voracious Feeding Time, issue number three is my number five pick of the week. And coming in at number four is uh, from Valiant from, or from uh, uh, Valiant Comics, issue number four of Savage. It's issue number four of four, by the way. So I hope we see more of this character, but it does kind of wrap it up here. This is art by B. Claymore, and, or written by B. Claymore and art by Clayton Henry. And the landscaping that he's doing here is gorgeous. Uh, he has uh, written out this strange sort of land of the lost that this young man is here. They go between two times in storytelling, which is like current up-to-date time and, and back to the sort of flashback when they first landed and, and his parents and uh, what happens to his parents and why there's other people there is sort of explained here. The dinosaurs, again, look a little different, but he is kind of this Turok, the dinosaur hunter character that carries around this, like, T-Rex tooth formed, these two T-Rex tooths kind of formed as a, as a hunting knife, as, as hunting knives, and uh, it, it's just beautifully done. There's a lot of sequences here with just our main character, Savage, and dinosaurs and how he interacts with them and how he is able to hunt and live and ultimately it's a story of revenge as to what happens to his parents and he has decided to rambo style kill each one of these people involved kind of one by one and secretly and stealthy in a secretly stealthy way it's it's just beautiful i mean there's even times where they dwell and live in this sort of sunsets and dinosaurs in the background silhouetted and it's just beautiful and there's um kind of a departure for him here he makes a decision that he wants to get off this island. It's time for him to, you know, to go home. Even though it's basically the only home he's known. He's been there since he was like a, a toddler. But he's decided that he no longer wants to live on this island. And he's taking steps to find out how he can get off of it. And it's unique in how that's done. And it's just a fun, action-packed, jungle dinosaur adventure with a revenge story twist. And beautiful panels layout. Gorgeous team of artists that are have really just come together and uh, some of these panels are so finished and so beautiful it's like they're they're just gorgeous you have to see them with him and dinosaurs and it's a little on the gory side at times when he fights and he's got those two dinosaur teeth as his as his knives yeah it gets a uh, gets a little gory a little a little blood squirty <laughs> but it's fun. He uses the dinosaurs here uh, to come after these guys to help him. I, I love how that happens and how that works. So you have to see this. But isn't that weird? Number five and number four have, uh, on the countdown here uh, with dinosaurs. <laughs> but anyway, I love it. So here we go now coming in at the top three comics of the week. So here we go. These are the top three breaking it down. Uh, number three from Marvel Comics is Doctor Strange issue 17. And this is from writer Jason Aaron. Of course, I love. He's doing everything. My favorite writer of of 2016 and artist Fraser Irving so it's a new artist uh, they had Chris Bocciolo before so when I saw okay we're switching our team here we're switching artists I, I kind of, of course grimace a little and roll the eyes like oh boy I hope it goes okay boy I could not have been more satisfied more surprised or happier to see this artist Fraser Irving check it out in in Doctor Strange issue 17 it's 
twisted, unique, weird. It has this Richard Corbin kind of feel to it. Check out Richard Corbin's work, of course. Um, he makes aliens and magical creatures look different, more different than I've seen in a long time. Like this skull-like semi-predator creature with these weird beads all over it and this strange like skull bones with, with, with like a beard on it. Like literally hair growing out of bone. It's just, it's strange and twisted and unique. And they're sort of at this war with each other. And Doctor Strange comes there to sort of stop the war, to kind of put an end to it and try to talk peacefully to them and, and break up this, this long century, you know, going battle between these two sort of magical realms. And, uh, man, they've changed his look and outfit of Doctor Strange. He's a little, uh, it's a darker suit, like just black with sort of blue trim. I love the look of it. And he's depowered somewhat, um, but his power is on the rise uh, with a lot of the artifacts that he's found. And he's wielding this kind of awesome looking axe. Yes, Doctor Strange with an axe. <laughs> and like I said, the d sort of dark black cloak now simplified a lot less to look at on his outfit with just these blue rings on this as, as trim. It just sort of simplifies it, makes makes it a much easier character, I'm sure, to write and draw and to look at as well. It's he's spending more or an equal amount of time with these strange-looking colored panels that he's drawing, but he uh, gets mixed up in that, and then the, that sort of sequence comes to an end, and he moves on to this other sort of part of the sequence, which is uh, him trying to find his. His faithful manservant, Wong. And where has Wong disappeared to? Well, Wong has been captured by this evil, strange entity that has harnessed all of the negative energy and negative magic uh, that Doctor Strange has stored in his house of weird uh, over the years. And he's sort of, all of that sort of strange aura and negative, uh, you know, and dark magic spells being concentrated into just one bad guy is crazy he's kind of like a ven venom symbiote that's alive with a multitude of eyes all over him and he's just developed a strange uh, you know come to life and just developed an, uh, an intelligence and is hell-bent on killing dr strange and everyone that is around him and also bringing his past villains uh, back into dr strange's life to sort of weaken him so that he can break him down so that when uh, this evil entity has wong he can just sort of step in and squish dr strange like a bug but i love even the humorous uh, moment here there's a panel where um she he tells his sort of librarian now that's sort of helping him non-magical normal person librarian to make sure to get on the phone, talk to all the Captain Americas, <laughs> all the Wolverines and all the Iron People. <laughs> so it's even like a nod and a joke and a kind of ribbing, a gut, you know, an elbow to the ribs to Marvel of like, uh, you know, wow, we got a lot of those kind of characters. It's real and it's, you know, a little bit of a roasting, a little ribbing. But I love that and I sort of laughed out loud. And the next sequence showing Doctor Strange on a motorcycle is beautiful, beautiful, fantastic art. And the way his streaks of action are done in blue is just beautiful. And... You have to put your eyes on it, but he draws some great landscaping sets that are eerie and ominous and, f and just a complete different palette. He goes from the pinks and blues of the motorcycle sequence to like these golds and browns and oranges with uh, Wong and that evil dark entity that is trying to destroy Doctor Strange. And it's also kind of um, possessed Wong possibly, or maybe he's just making his face of the likeness of Doctor Strange, of, of Wong I mean. But then even Doctor Strange goes into one of these weird bars that he goes into with all these sorcerers and and uh, witches and demons and everyone. Even looks like maybe Karnak is in there um, asking for help and asking if anyone knows of where Wong might be or where this dark entity is. And of course, 
the the strange bartender he's walked into this bar before just a floating f- floating head like Futurama floating head that is the owner of the bar telling him not to destroy the place because he just fixed it up kind of thing is is unique and twisted and there's just a weird floating head walking around all these strange like sorcerers and demons and witches and then he gets a visit from man thing yeah and that goes so uniquely strange like even when man thing that's the last sequence i want to mention because man thing hands him like a pile of goo saying this will help him and he doesn't know if that's going to help him maybe it will later maybe it won't but i love the sequence here with man thing and these villains that come are from there these vampires with a twist i won't tell you what the twist is but these vampires that arrive that are attacking uh, man thing and dr strange unique very and funny hilarious but they're a vampire with a twist that's right but they have to team up and fight each other so there's just a different sort of paneling style there's there's different coloring shade palettes and sort of you get a a bunch of different aspects of things sort of going on from it being like five acts like from uh, each little sequence that's very different unique from each other and look very different it's just a whole lot of strange a whole lot of what you what you would expect from a doctor strange comic book and the art is fantastic and glorious and you have to put your eyes on it and i hope he's here to stay i mean i loved chris bocciolo on doctor strange but i'm a little happy we're moving on to someone else and because of how just beautiful fraser irving's art is so i uh, definitely is like my second place art winner is all i'll say but it's um it's just fantastic. Doctor Strange 17. And coming in at number two is Ether. Ether has been a top pick as well, just like Doctor Strange previously. Ether number four. This is uh, written by Matt Kent and art by David Rubin. And this is that strange world of Ether. It's like this alternate reality on planet Earth. There's strange sort of, um, sort of, sort of uh, portals that happen on various places on Earth. And this is kind of the story of another portal that leads you to the ether and of another person that affects, which is this woman that we've seen in previous issues that our main character has seen and mentioned, but now we really get to see who she is. And you're introduced to her and she's uh, like 12 years old and she spends summers on her mother's, her grandmother's farm called the Blaze House. And it's just this beautiful Americana feel, like kind of watercoloring orange and, and greens and it's just very warm and inviting it's grandma's house you know there's a pie in the window seal and it's just like what every person dreams of when you think of having like a grandmother like that it's just you know the pie in the window and the grandmother and her cooking apron and she just has this very appealing warm face and they love each other and they embrace each other and they just have such warm moments in just this very rockwellian kind of scene where they're just loving each other and then the young granddaughter finds the portal to the ether and how what happens here is a bit heartbreaking it's uh you know i don't want to say too much so that you see what kind of what happens but it's um you know does time change when you go through the ether we've mentioned that a little before what happens to reality what happens to your life how long are you gone some of those things are kind of answered here but at its very core it's explaining to us who this woman is that has been mentioned in the previous issues of, of Ether, and I want to say her name is Hazel, but her name is just not uh, coming to me right now. But uh, she meets the gatekeeper that we've seen our main character, the professor, I'll call him, uh, that always uh, is there at the Ether entrance, and she's introduced into uh, someone we've met in the past that that sort of strange other professor, his like arch enemy of our main character and uh and how that uh, weaves into the story as well makes you understand why he is the primary villain here and ultimately the case of where they're trying to find out the um uh 
the warrior protector, the fire blaze protector that protects the family, uh, protects the ether, uh, was murdered. It's ultimately kind of this murder mystery. We don't get into that here. It doesn't really touch that very much. But again, it's setting up these other characters, explaining the or uh, the importance and the understanding of the female character uh, that is his love interest, and also a little deeper understanding of his primary arch nemesis, the other professor. And uh, I love it. Ether is just. It's got a mixture of great storytelling, uh, fantasy, and beautiful, lovingly just painted art and watercoloring, and uh, just a great otherworldly story, and also a very kind of optimistic, realistic look of how science is, is viewed here. It's a mixture of so many positive, feel-good things, and yet at, at times, too, it can be emotionally sort of um, beautiful when it's uh, the young woman Hazel and her grandmother. It is Hazel. I just saw a panel here. I'm looking at it. Yeah, Hazel. I was right. But anyway, check out Ether. It's only on issue number four. It's been delivered on time. It's great. It's a great comic that has just been... It seems to be getting better on a pace of getting better, which is great. Um, a lot of times you see number one be amazing, and then two and three kind of taper off, and four kind of finds a plateau. This just seems to get better and better and better, and you want to live in that world of Ether. It looks so strange and unique, and it's, you know, it's like this Alice in Wonderland trippy... But not too trippy. Uh, I, I love it, but Ether, check it out. But number one, here we go now. This is the final, the finale. The number one comic of the week is Invincible. Issue number 133 from Image Comics. This is written by Robert Kirkman, and this is art by Ryan Otley, who is the artist winner. This interior art, like I already said, I won't go too much into it. He has to draw a funeral scene and the faces of a ton of characters and it all has to make sense and feel real and it does he really really pays off here and there's a fight sequence here which gets really awkward and there's a ton of then awkward looks on people's faces and what do we do and should we stop them should we do this it's just this strange awkward funeral moment and you feel it it's heavy and um, the person that there that passed away was um, Mark's brother in the, in the previous uh, not last issue but I think the issue before but um, they're here, and Eve is there, and their daughter, who is adorable, is there. And it's just um, this family moment. And, and of course, uh, Omni-Man is back. Their dad is back, and, and Mark's mother is there. And it's just this, this the, the family of Invincible that you love so much over 133 issues is all kind of back together in one place, but it's for a funeral. But it's uh, is this is the jumping off point to the last 12 issues of this comic. They are ending it forever. It's going away. And Kirkman is not afraid to kill major characters. We all know that. It's happened before. From The Walking Dead to this and everything else he's written. He will do it. And uh, you, uh, you, uh, if you've read Invincible, you're invested into Mark and Eve and his family. And it's really all about that. It's at the centerpiece is the, is the superhero family here. And he's basically a Superman and a Superboy because Dad is kind of Superman, Omni-Man, and and uh, how they try to live normal lives and yet be superheroes at the same time. And and there is a sort of president of this strange uh, galactic uh, empire, if you will, but not in a negative way. <laughs> but he is this one-eyed sort of Cyclops uh, superhero that is leading the uh, the the government on this planet. He's, uh, you know, revealed here something that's a little messed up. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's a lot messed up. And that's why this fight sequence takes place. But I don't want to tell you the gist of why. But, yeah, people, other people get involved. And what's going to happen here? And uh, I don't want to spoil it for you because Robert Kirkman writes in such a way. But there's also a beautiful panel of something that Mark and Eve finally do that we've, uh, you know, we've known should have been done for a long time. Maybe they got married. But anyway, um, it's just... 
it's it's a, a lovely moment and there is that sequence it goes from you know heartwarming to heartbreaking and also setting the stage for the last 12 issues of invincible is they do something very robert kirkman is something very special here very unique he's gathering the troops he's he's drawing the lines and seeing and showing you kind of who's on both sides of the line here he's making it very clear that uh, the last 12 issues are going to be exciting, fun, heartbreaking, scary, because we worry about our main characters and what he's going to do, and it's going to end-end. Yes, end-end, I, I feel like. It's going to be over-over. I don't feel spin-offs coming from this. I don't think Kirkman's about that. He doesn't have time to, and I don't think he wants to diminish his legacy of Invincible and selling it off to to doing spin-offs. But we'll see. I just think that. I think he's really going to end-end it. I think that really good things come to a real end, and that's going to happen here. That's why Invincible is again, I know it's been past picks before, the number one picks um, has been in the past, but Invincible, number 133, the art winner, and the number one pick for sure. And that's it, so there you have it, Those, that's the entire countdown, those are all my comic book recommendations for this week for new comic book day, February 15th, please go to your local comic book shop and buy these 14 immediately, they're so super good, you will not be disappointed any of them and like i said to spotlight the flintstones just go back get all eight issues you will not be disappointed and if you have any comments or you'd like a personal comic book recommendation just email email me directly it's chris at sunspotscomics.com if i choose your email and i discuss it i will send you a little comic book prize a little thank you gift for me personally and please sign up for our email newsletter at sunspotscomics.com slash contact. And please tune into issue number 95 next week. I'm actually going to be on the pull list. I've got 12, so not bad. Going from 30 this week to 12 next week. Uh, you know, that's quite a dip, but uh, that's fine. I hope they're, they're all 12 are excellent for a new comic book day, February 22nd. And there are five new number ones coming out, so potentially just 17 next week. But just a little glimpse, a little peek into what's coming out next week that I'll hopefully be discussing. Amazing Spider-Man 24, Black Road number 7, Clean Room 16, Curse Words number 2. I'm looking forward to that pretty heavily. Descender, Dustin Wins, Art with Jeff Lemire, December uh, number 19. Can't believe it's on 19 already. Um, and The Flash, 17. So just a glimpse into some of the titles that are coming out next week that I'm really looking forward to, and I hope to discuss those with you. So again, thank you so very much for listening. I really appreciate that you're here and you're listening in, and I hope you um, find value in me helping you find what the best comics of the week are. There's so much new stuff out there that's so good. Just go to a local comic book shop with this list and tell them that Chris from Sunspots Comics sent you and buy them all immediately. You will not be disappointed. And if you want to give a little something back to the show, you want to help out, help us out here at Sunspots Comics, just go to iTunes, give us a review, and hit us with five stars. I'll personally thank you, and I'll read that review right here on a future podcast. I actually have a couple lined up that I should be reading very soon. So thank you to all of you that have sent me positive feedback through anything, through the social media, through email, through uh, iTunes. I really appreciate it very, very much. And uh, thank you very much. So please, of course, don't forget to be water, my friend. Be like water. And I'll see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Take care. Comics now.